Welcome to Stories of COVID, the interview project that explores what it's like to experience a global pandemic. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. It is scary and it's very real, but it's not hopeless. As I said, I changed three planes. None of them were wearing any gloves or masks. I've never seen so much support for freelancers or artists in the in the media um, as I have now. They both laid me off from just the advent of the, the outbreak. I'm anthropologist and author Veronica Kieran, and I am building an interview archive of stories and anecdotes that define this time in history to write a book preserving this experience for future generations. If you'd like to help preserve this moment in history for future generations, check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Ron lives in New York City, but was on deployment in Puerto Rico for the earthquakes when COVID-19 came on the scene. He is certain that due to that deployment, he contracted COVID-19. In this interview, he describes battling the illness, feeling like he couldn't breathe, being certain that he would die, and a month later, still not being able to walk a city block. I was actually uh, deployed to Puerto Rico uh, to respond to their recent earthquakes. And I started hearing news and stories about the virus, the virus coming over to the States and how New York was starting to be impacted. Um, at the time, I was still working seven days a week in Puerto Rico doing field assessments and almost got detained over there um, just because they didn't know if they wanted people flying over, especially my team who did hundreds and hundreds of inspections. Actually, uh, we did almost 10,000 inspections so, yeah, so we were, um, we were very close to a lot of people, so they wanted us to quarantine, but um, in the end, they let us fly back. Uh, I actually got sick right after that um, and actually came down with the virus for almost four weeks. Sometimes it happens more at night or during the day you feel a little bit better. And then as soon as, as, soon as nightfall, you feel like you're going to pass out, can't breathe, can't move. At the time, there weren't tests. I had gotten tested uh, about a month ago because of my job. We were required to be tested. And because we were in close proximity with the public, uh, we did inspections of hospitals and testing facilities. They required us to make sure we were okay. Uh, it turns out I did have it. So I got tested uh, about a month ago. Before that, the tests weren't available. So they were, and, and when they were available, they were only testing um, critical people. And I just didn't qualify to be tested uh, until much later on when they opened it up to all essential uh, personnel and first responders, which I fell into that qualification. So I had it but there's no way to guarantee that that four week stretch when I was sick was, uh, was when I had had it. Uh, I was in Puerto Rico from the end of January through, through February, back around the, almost the beginning of March. <laughs> when I first heard about it, I thought it was, you know, no big deal. I thought there was, 
it was just another virus like anything else, but you know, feeling it firsthand, waking up after two days of, of being unconscious, thinking I was ready to die, and then seeing other people, how they've been sick. Um, I've actually lost a couple people in my team. Um, one of my employees, he, he told me that he gave it to his mother and his mother had passed away. So I, I see a lot of people, you know, they think that it's just any, another virus like the cold or the flu, but the way I, it might not be as contagious as some people are saying, but the people who are susceptible, it's, it, it's heartbreaking and it, it, it's just hard to witness and it's hard to be part of that, especially living in New York and dealing with the testing centers firsthand. It's, it's just hard to bear. You know, I'm afraid for my family. My parents are both cancer survivors. So I take care of, our, you know, I'm still taking care of them. I, I don't want them out. I don't want them to go, you know, put themselves in a position where they can be infected, but I also don't want them to be home all the time. So it's, it's a hard way to have them balance that. But it's also hard for me to control, you know, all the different aspects of my exposure levels, my inability to be close to my family. Um, right after I'd gotten sick and when I wasn't sure if I had had it, but after that I had actually um, come into direct contact with another individual who was confirmed. It was very difficult to live in a household with... So the funny thing is, what I was about to say was exactly what's going on now is I can't be directly in contact with them, so I have to be like 20 feet away. She's also frustrated. So she's incessantly cleaning everything throughout the house. So right now she just took out, I don't know what she took out, but she's cleaning things. Lack of ability to get out, being sort of cabin fevered into the house all the time. Uh, you know, I did construction on the house, which is at like 99% completion, but all the little things that needs to get done, can't do it and she's frustrated. So she just gave me a look like, what's wrong with you? There are some things I can do, but I don't want to be in contact with them. There are other things I can do without being in contact with them, but I don't have the supplies. Actually, I mean, I have access to them if I use my identification as an essential personnel, but I also don't want to abuse that situation. My house doesn't have much quiet at the moment. That's the other thing. The frustration is there's no privacy because everything that I had set up for space hasn't really been set up yet. Oh. All right. That's the only place I have uh, quiet. Part of my lingering effects is that I, I mean, I was deployed to Puerto Rico through walking 20, 30 miles a day, up and down hills in 100 degree weather. I could barely walk three or four blocks without getting winded at the moment. But I'm trying to build that back up. So it's 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 exhausting because I'm I'm even. It took a little bit to walk to the other side of the house. Technology has been playing a very important role in in, in my circle. I think people have relied on technology more and more. Uh, right now, it's, it's proving that the advent of 
technology is, is helpful for situations like this. The only problem is it does also lead the door to uh, abuse. Um, and I've witnessed it that people are abusing their use of technology, but I, I think it's also going to become an essential, essential tool for most businesses and, and industries moving forward. I mean, a simple thing like signing into work, if your work hours are from eight to four or nine to five, it's, it's very easy with, with technology and teleworking to sign in and spend hours doing whatever you need to do for your own house or even going back to sleep and like coming back for, for a while. I mean, I'm guilty of it a little bit also. I When I was going to work, usually I, I sign in at the office, but uh, there was a riot the other day. So I waited without my car and I was able to use my computer and my, my phone to, to work remotely. But, you know, it's, it's, it's changing the dynamic of, of human interaction and changing the dynamic of the office where we're used to seeing hundreds and hundreds of people a day and now everything's being done remotely. We can go days without seeing anybody. And it's, it's pretty sad. It, being stuck at home this whole time is almost sort of bubbling up everyone's angst and anxiety and frustrations. And it, it was just that one instance that finally kind of made, made everything pop. And in a way, I think it's a, it's a good thing. Um, one thing I saw, I think this morning or yesterday, was a message from, from the Chief Naval Officer of the U.S. Navy. And he's actually addressing his concerns and feelings in a statement, um, you know, to the American public, to all the minorities who serve and currently serve in the Navy. It's something that I think needed to come to head, but it also is something that I think this administration has caused a lot of divisiveness in the country. Um, so I think it was inevitable with, it, it's like almost, all the points coming together to create the situation was just inevitable. The one thing that I think about the most often is a friend of mine had passed away uh, and they weren't doing funerals, they weren't doing the one individual cremations at the time. But witnessing his live stream where they, they went to Hard Island, um, which is historically an island where it, it's an unused island in New York City that they that bodies that, that pass away uh, who go unclaimed, they are brought to that island for a mass burial. In this situation, people were claiming these, these relatives and the deceased, and they were still forced to go to Hart Island to watch a mass burial, and they were not always sure which plywood box belonged to them. You know, I just seeing photos of, of mass graves and seeing my friends' reactions, it's its something that I don't stop thinking about. The island is usually off limits to the public. Uh, there are certain times of the year where they allow people to go visit. I'm, I'm thinking about it, but also, I don't know, it's, it, there's just so much sadness and death that I don't know how I would be able to take it. Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. 
I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well.